The Holistic Counseling Podcast is part of the practice of the Practice Network, a network of podcasts seeking to help you market and grow your business and yourself. To hear other podcasts like Behind the Bite, Full of Shift, and Impact Driven Leader, go to www.practiceofthepractice.com forward slash network. Welcome to the Holistic Counseling Podcast, where you discover diverse wellness modalities, advice on growing your integrative practice, and grow confidence in being your unique self. I'm your host, Chris McDonald. I'm so glad you're here for the journey. Welcome to today's episode of the Holistic Counseling Podcast. I'm your host, Chris McDonald. I want to start today's episode with a fantastic review from Loud Milo on Apple Podcasts. Milo says, I'm a holistic practitioner and not a therapist, and I have learned so much from this podcast. I love the conversations Chris has with her guests and look forward to each new episode. But I want to say thank you so much, Milo, for tuning in. And yes, this is more than just for therapists. So I welcome holistic practitioners tuning in. And of course, I've had so many on here. So please spread the word. We need your help with that. But I am so psyched for today to bring back my mentor, my teacher, overall inspiration, Christine Weber. I've had many, many other people talking about this episode 16, Trauma-Informed Yoga for Nervous System Regulation. And it was the most downloaded episode on this podcast. So congratulations to Christine on that. And I have found that integrating yoga into clinical sessions has been the most talked about from listeners. People want more information, which is so exciting. So definitely be bringing more of that to you. But Christine's here today to talk about something a little different, the connection between chakras and our mental health. And who is she? So she is the leading world authority on the neuroscientific benefits of slow, mindful yoga, an advocate for the use of these practices as an integral part of the solution to the healthcare crisis. She is leading the charge to get slow, mindful practices to people who desperately need them through her Subtle Yoga Revolution series of online courses and trainings for yoga teachers which have been praised by thousands all over the world. She's been training mental health professionals to use yoga in their clinical practices for over a decade. She was recently appointed to the board of the Integrative Health Policy Consortium. Christine presents workshops and trainings internationally and is frequently invited to speak about yoga at healthcare conferences and on podcasts. Welcome back to the podcast, Christine. Thank you. It's so nice to be here, Chris, and nice to have a chance to chat with you. Yes, I know. You have always so many great things to offer. So can you tell my listeners more about yourself and your work? Sure. So um, I've been teaching yoga since 1995. I spent four years living in Asia and about eight months living in India where I got really got into yoga. I had been introduced to yoga by my sixth grade social studies teacher who was a hippie. And, uh, <laughs> and we <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> we practiced yoga every Wednesday in yoga club. I feel like I always tell that story, but uh, but I just That's think so it was cute. cute. <laughs> and she was she was so sweet. And I still even do some of the things that she taught me back when I was twelve and thirteen years old. I still use some of her practices. So that's you know, I mean, yoga is just a lifelong practice. Um, so anyway, then I came back to the states in 1995, and that's when I started teaching yoga. I got into training yoga teachers in 2003, and my husband actually is a licensed clinical social worker, 
and a licensed clinical addiction specialist and a certified prevention specialist. So he's a macro, micro social worker kind of person, a systems thinker, and he's done future studies. And so we've collaborated a lot, and he's a yogi. So we've collaborated (laughs) a lot over the years, and we've written lots of articles together. We're we're working on uh, a couple of book projects right now. And um, basically, he inspired me to start working with clinicians. So in 2009, I uh, started training uh, behavioral health professionals at the Mountain Area Health Education Center, which is um, probably, I would say, one of the premier AHECs in the state of North Carolina that, you know, with the mission of, of training the workforce, the healthcare workforce. So we have trained hundreds, perhaps thousands of uh, clinicians, it's at least hundreds. <laughs> um, and maybe <laughs> it's up hard to, to know. <laughs> yeah, we're getting up there. Um, clinicians over the past 13 years, I've been collaborating with another social worker named Ashley Lester, who's also a yoga teacher. Um, and, uh, we just realized that this work was so important. As somatics started to be brought into behavioral health, we were like, you know, yoga is the original, you know, and it's an integrated somatic approach. You know, it's like not just let's get in touch with your body, but it's also it's body, mind, spirit. It's everything. So we really thought like, let's take this stuff. Let's Um, really focus on the nervous system and the mental health side of the yoga practice and differentiate it from the fitness stuff. Because everybody knows about fitness yoga, you know. But it was like, how could we use this um, really specifically? And in the meanwhile, you know, I had spent five years working in a facility, in a um, nursing home hospice facility, and that's where I sort of got my clinical chops together. And then I spent uh, several other years working in intensive outpatient and, and partial hospitalization treatment programs. I'm in the middle of doing a study right now at um, JFK, which is a state-run treatment facility to see if uh, subtle yoga practices are helpful in early recovery um, and and do any kind of relapse prevention. So we're in the middle of a study. Uh, but you know how studies are. That's they so exciting. Like, oh, but, <laughs> but that is exciting. It is exciting. And then I um, also have been interested in policy for a number of years. And so I'm really excited that I'm working on the national level now to look towards bringing yoga into the healthcare conversation and how can yoga help to support the health of populations. Um, so that's really, you know, that's, that's really important to me and really exciting, uh, in terms of where we can take the, you know, how we can scale what we're doing now and take it to a, so that's the integrative health policy consortium that you had mentioned. Yes. And also I'm working on a special group with the Alliance for the Advancement of Integrative Pain Management. So because you know that pain management is a huge problem right now. Oh, Um, yes. So, and and there's some great, I just saw a research study that came out uh, a few weeks ago um, looking at slow, deep breathing and it's... um, effect on chronic pain. So there's, there's some really good stuff happening and, you know, I'm just really excited to be able to help clinicians understand how this work is not just sort of a hobby or something to do as like, instead of going to Zumba, you can go to yoga, you know, but to really see it as something that helps people to regulate the nervous system over time. 
And I'm so happy to see that it's becoming more used in clinical practices. I keep seeing it everywhere and I have more and more people reaching out to me about yoga and therapy, which I think is so exciting. Oh my gosh, Chris, when I think about when I first started teaching clinicians in 2009, like people would be like, what? (laughs) What are you doing? What what are you talking about? I mean, I literally, I remember one guy came to my workshop. He was like, I'm just here for the CEUs, but you're never going to convince me that yoga has anything to do with mental health. He was was honest. Okay. Yeah. At least he was honest. Um, So we're happy to, I was like, good. So maybe you can roll around on the floor with us and get some CEUs. Good for you. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) But I think people are more open to it now. I think it's changed a lot. So that was 13 years ago. And I think things have, have changed significantly. And I'd like to think that Ashley and I have, have helped yeah, push absolutely. that. You know? And I think too, that as I talk with other clinicians that, um, I know we're going off topic, but I do have to say this, that they, they're noticing too, that CBT only goes so far. Well, Sure. You know? because, I mean, this is just basic brain science, exactly. right? Exactly. You can't get to the brain stem. You can't even get to the limbic structures very well with CBT. Yeah. You know, I mean, not that it's not great. No, of course it it's, ha- great. it's helpful. But. Yeah, very helpful. But but you have to have, and this is why we're seeing the emergence of sensory motor psychotherapy and EMDR and somatic experiencing, you know, yeah. sense and uh, somatic experiencing. All of those things are addressing brain stem, deep brain, you know, deep brain too, which is the midbrain stuff, you know, the superior colliculi, the orienting response, the periaqueductal gray, those parts of the brain that you cannot get to with cognitive approaches, you know, they're far too fast and deep and preverbal. So, um, so I think it's really exciting. I think yoga is a, a, a wonderful counterpart if it is used you know, there's the caveat here is that I think that there are basically two ways that you use yoga. One is fitness and the other is nervous system regulation. And you can do both a little bit at the same time, but if the instructor or the therapist is trained in yoga for nervous system regulation, that is quite different than a yoga teacher who's trained in fitness yoga. And that's something that therapists really need to understand. Yeah, it's a huge, huge difference. It's huge. Yeah, it's completely different orientation. And um, and I, so I think that's important. I think that's why we're going to see a lot more yoga therapy in the future too, which is, you know, a burgeoning profession where you have to have much more training and, you know, it's much more clinical experience, much more um, uh, capacity to assess, you know, and, and a much broader knowledge base than a fitness instructor. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's move on to our topics. I know that um, I'm so excited that you're willing to talk about this because this is something we haven't talked about yet. And this is, I'm recording up to, I think we're in our fifties and (laughs) number of episodes recorded. So wow, I know it's been, so it'll be a year. Yeah. This April, 2022 since we started. So moving along. So let's start with what are chakras? Because I know not everybody knows what they are. Yes. And well, this is also something where I think there are different levels of understanding. So so the Sanskrit word chakra means wheel. And, you know, one thing that I think just about every therapist understands quite well 
is that human beings experience their emotions somewhere on the midline of the body. So we, and we have all sorts of idioms that express it. We say, oh, I, I, I was so sad. I was all choked up and I couldn't express myself or that completely broke my heart or, oh my God, I'm so confused. It's giving me a headache. And we put our hands in the midline while we're saying this, you can't see me, but I'm putting my hand on those places. And then we say things like, um, I had butterflies in my stomach. Uh, we say he's got kahunas. (laughs) <laughs> you know, so we we know that there's this midline. There is a midline um, manifestation of emotional expression, and that has to do, in, in terms of the nervous system and the brain, it has to do with an interaction between limbic structures that process emotion and these subcenters that exist in the body that are uh, communicating via. Uh, neuroendocrine immune structures, and certainly, you know, for example, the vagus nerve, you know, we all know lots about the vagus nerve now. Um, But but also, energetically, through biofields. And so biofield science is emerging, there's some weird out there stuff about biofield science. And then there's also some very interesting stuff about Mm -hmm. biofield science that's confirmed through research that's showing that there are these biofields and these biofields in the system, not only do they interact with the nervous system within ourselves, but they also interact with other people and perhaps even connect to the geo uh, biofield of the earth, you know, the geo, the geomagnetic um, um, field of the earth. So like we are intimately connected to each other and to the earth and also within ourselves emotions are not happening solely in the brain they happen in the body and the the body are represented by these subcenters there's there's typically seven it depends on the uh, lineage because some some lineages have more and they um, and the yogis understood uh, that these centers were the processing centers for emotions. They also understood that if you could use yoga practices to bring about more self-awareness and eventually more of a sense of self-control uh, or agency, if you like, over these centers, that you could transform that emotional energy into energy for your spiritual growth and transformation. So chakras are from the Indian tradition, specifically the tantric tradition. They were co-opted in the late 1800s by Madame Blavatsky, the Theosophical Society, and a number of other key players in the West who said that they, you know, like including Charles Ledbetter and some others, but they said that they understood the chakras better than the Indians and they undid the system and sort of refabricated it in their own way. And then by the 1950s, they had been um, understood by some of the people in the West who were interested in color therapy, which was very much popularized by all the chroma, um, I forget what it was called, but the the colorization of film. 
right? Like Wizard of Oz in the 40s and 50s. And then by the 1970s, chakras had been gone to California and were being influenced by thinkers at the Esalen Institute. And so in the 1970s and the 1980s, you get this huge push about something called the chakras, um, which was a mispronunciation of the That's word. That's what I was going to ask you. So, yeah. so there is a difference in the the pronunciation. So, absolutely. That yeah, you'll hear New Age people talk about chakras a lot, and that's just because they were kind of like putting a French accent on Sanskrit, and there was a misunderstanding of the Sanskrit word, which is pronounced more like chakra. Even you know, chak- chakra is closer. Chakra um, is probably more accurate. But I say chakra because, you know, at least people will understand a little bit what I'm talking about. <laughs> and, true. And, and so you have this uh, evolution and then you have ho- literally hundreds of books written about this rainbow framework that was kind of concretized in the 1970s at the Esalen Institute and has very little to do with what the Indians were talking about. Um, so what I did was go back to the source materials uh, spent a lot of time with um, experts and Sanskritists and um, did a ton of research to actually find the more traditional system, which I think is much deeper, more profound, and certainly more useful than a lot of the uh, fluffier stuff that we get in the West. Now, that's not to say that like Western chakras aren't interesting and pretty and stuff, but they don't have the same worldview. They come from a different worldview. The Western worldview is more about sort of like, oh, here's some crystals and some food and some incense and essential oils that will make these chakras shine and, you know, and you'll get whatever you want in your life. So you sort of have that kind of manifesting um, veneer on top of the Western chakras, whereas the Indian chakra system was very much about creating more mental, emotional balance so that you can self-actualize and eventually self-realize. So like it, it makes more sense to go to that source material, I think, when you are talking about mental emotional balance and, and self-regulation, because that's what the yogis were all about. If you can self-regulate and you're not influenced by all that stuff that's happening internally and influenced by external stuff, you have a stronger... Uh, essentially a stronger psychological capacity as well as a stronger central nervous system and autonomic mm. nervous system in order to be able to um, understand the depth of your identity as a light being who has come to this planet to better understand yourself and to serve in whatever particular and unique and beautiful way that you have, you know, that you are inherently gifted with, if you like. So what is, I guess, the connection with the chakras and mental health? What could, how could the clinicians use this? How would this be helpful for them? I think one of the things that's helpful is to start by understanding that these emotions locate themselves in the physical body, right? So, and we know that there's a strong correlation between gut health, for example, microbiome, stuff and mental health. We know that there's a strong correlation uh, between the health of the vagus nerve and heart rate variability. We know there's a strong correlation between the health of the thyroid and depression. You know, So 
we already know all this stuff. And of course, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, which now is being called the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal thyroid gonoidal axis. Oh my goodness. Yeah, because the all of the stress response is intimately involved in all of these centers that I'm talking about. So, and, and in terms of the biofields, there's a connection. So, but, you know, to, to start by understanding that emotions are embodied and that the traditional yoga practices were actually crafted to create better balance in these centers in order to have better emotional balance. So that means like studying yoga and, um, starting to learn some of the the locations of these centers, um, traditional sounds that are helpful, like mantras that are helpful, or even if, you know, some people don't want to learn Sanskrit mantras. I totally get that. But learning like affirmations and um, intentions that correlate to the uh, mental, emotional kind of themes of these centers can be super helpful. So like for an example, let's take the third chakra, which is at the navel. The new age people will say it's at the solar plexus. That's not entirely wrong, but the concentration point, the traditional concentration point is bring your attention to your navel. That's why we have this like funny thing that we say, like you're just navel gazing, right? But actually navel gazing is an important part of the yoga practice traditionally. So we have this chakra at the navel center and it has a lot to do with power dynamics. Uh, It has a lot to do with your sense of other and how that relates to yourself and how our our relationships and our interactions can affect our uh, mental health. It has a lot to do with anger. It has to do with um, and rage. So, um, you know, those are those are deep brain emotional stuff. So it's going to be interfacing with like a, a brainstem and midbrain structures. Um, it has a lot to do with gut health as well. And so. As you bring, and, and, and the yogi saw that as the fire center, by the way. So as you bring your attention into the navel center and you start to understand, okay, I've got this, this, I'm dealing with fear or anger, which are emotions that are often typically associated with those centers, then, then what can I do to reclaim some of that externalized energy Right. So the third chakra often is about like, I'm blaming other people for my stuff and I'm looking outside of myself for answers. So when I can start to reclaim some of that fiery energy, um, there's a possibility that 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 process, uh, whether it's using asanas, which are yoga postures, meditation, breathing practices, getting really clear about my ethics and my values and operationalizing those. And then um, using those different, you know, many different practices, I can create greater balance and that greater balance in that area, that area of my body is going to um, translate into greater mental, emotional balance and better digestion. Now it's not a simple process. It's not like, Oh, here's this, uh, you know, recipe. Yoga pose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not like, here's this yoga pose or yeah. here's this mantra. And that's going to be your pill for your gut problems. It's not like that. You well, know, everybody wants a quick fix, Christine. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I know. But the research yeah. shows that yoga practices take about two to three months to start. And, and that's with 20, 
minutes of yoga four times a week, two to three months. That's good to know. Yeah. That's the research, right? So we've got that. So when you tell somebody, okay, I want you to do some yoga. It's not just like, go to a yoga class, you'll feel better. It's you need to do yoga for two to three months for four times a week, at least 20 minutes. You can do it on your own or, you know, and here's some yoga poses or you can go to a class and then you'll start to see neuroplastic changes and significant changes in the nervous system so that people are starting to diminish that anxiety, reduce some of the depression and uh, improve gut health and improve their energy levels and start to feel better about themselves. And and it takes time. Uh, you know, practice takes practice. <laughs> That's why we call it a practice. <laughs> That's why we call it a practice. You have to practice exactly. it. But I think knowing like the evidence base is super important for people. No, I appreciate you, know? you sharing that because I know clients, as, as you're talking about to the external, I think that a lot of people come to therapy blaming other people for things or fix them, fix this family, fix that, and not looking internal. Right. And, and then, of course, they want the quick fix. And why is therapy taking so long? Well, you know, just like yoga, things take time. And I'm glad yeah, you put that a, that right research. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I think that rewinding it a little bit, it'd be like, okay, so it did take this long decades for older people too, that, you know, it's going to, it's not going to be fixed in two months with therapy. Right. Right. It's just, you just start after two months, you'll start to see a shift. I yeah. think that these, mm-hmm. like, as you start to understand neuroplasticity and, um, uh, how it works, like then people can say, oh yeah. I mean, it's like, if I had to heal, if I broke my arm, you know, I'm going to take six weeks for it to start to heal. And then another six weeks for me to start to get mobility in it. And then another six weeks for it to not ache anymore. And then maybe a year for it to start to feel totally normal again. Right. So like we expect that from something physical, but, but we have this, weird idea that there's some kind of magic bullet that's going to fix our the mental emotional part of ourselves and it takes a long time it, it and, and it's okay because it's a journey it is yeah and I'm glad you said that so I know you mentioned so the the third chakra so what are the other chakras okay so the first chakra is at the pelvic floor area and you could see how this could be highly triggering for folks with sexual trauma. So I think it's important to just kind of know where these things are, but not necessarily go there right away with your clients. So the pelvic floor chakra, um, has a, of course it has a lot to do with ground being grounded, but it also holds the seed of, and the, the root of everything that's possible in our human existence. So it's a, it's like a very um, powerful fecund kind of part of our energetic anatomy. And it's like anything, anything that you can become, anything that you could envision for yourself that is in seed form at the first chakra. So the first chakra is really important, not just about the grounding stuff and survival. People always talk about that and that's all kind of more the new age side of it. But, but from the traditional side, it's more like anything is possible, you know? So you look at a baby and the baby is like, you look at the baby and you're like, Oh, this baby's so adorable and juicy and lovely. And you could be the president, you know, like that kind of (laughs) feeling like you could be whatever you want, you know? That's who we are in our first chakra. And actually that is um, the metaphor or the symbolism 
in in uh, other countries they say symbology i almost said said symbology i think that's english but anyway the, <laughs> the okay. symbolism i am married to somebody from new zealand so like i'm always getting tripped up on words <laughs> <laughs> but the the symbolism of the first chakra is sort of like um the this deity called bal brahma which means the baby the baby god i love it you know the baby god so like, that's your first chakra. This is anything is possible. Now, when you move up to the second chakra, that's where we start to get into generational trauma stuff, your trauma, um, deep, like life-threatening addictions, uh, homelessness stuff, like the, the hardest, most horrible things that can happen to people happen in the second chakra. And that's represented by one of the symbols of the second chakra, which is a makara, which means a huge, nasty crocodile. And so there's this, that's the symbol in the second chakra. It's saying like you, this, once you wake up to, you know, you, you kind of wake up the root, you wake up the first chakra, the second chakra is like, okay, now you have all this really heavy stuff to deal with and get and work through. And, and, and you don't just work through each chakra in a linear way. And the heart chakra is incredibly powerful. It has a magnetic healing power. So like, we're always working with all of them at the same time, whether or not we know it, we're, we're, they're, they're an intrinsic part of our healing system. So we're working them with them all the time. But so the second chakra is like, like this really heavy place. And when you see, like I was just driving by the mall and I saw four guys and you know, um, panhandling. And, uh, I hope that's not an, I hope that's not a bad word to say. You might want to edit that out, Chris. I saw four guys, (laughs) I saw four guys asking for money on the side of the road and, um, and they were, uh, it all looked, you know, you see, you're a therapist, you know what that looks like when somebody's Mm -hmm. using a lot of substances. And when I see, folks like that, my heart breaks, of course. And I think of how much trauma there is lodged in that second chakra, because that's where trauma really lodges itself. Now, it's also a beautiful place, the second chakra, because this is where our sexuality emerges from. And when it's integrated with the heart chakra, then it's beautiful. But when it's cut off, we know the vagus nerve has the um, dorsal branch below the diaphragm, right? So when you're cut off from above the diaphragm, which a lot of people are and do it because of certain dissociative tendencies that keep us alive, right? Then then we're not, and we can't access that. And that's when it turns into like a Dennis Hopper movie, like every Dennis Hopper movie you've ever seen, you know? Yeah. Uh, is, you know what I'm talking about? Like, uh, or any, any movie that is about like any horror movie or any violent war movie, they're all reflecting that second chakra trauma. Um, so when you see politicians, like for example, what's going on right now in the world, um, uh, going after countries or starting wars indiscriminately, that's representative of their own and probably their cabal, you know, the, the cabal that they have that are joining them in their destruction. But that's representative of second chakra dysfunction, right? So I always say, like, you see stuff like that going on in the world, you know that the people in leadership positions have serious mental health challenges happening, right, at that time, you know. So, so then you get to the third chakra and that kind of wakes you up 
to all the, the nonsense that you've either been perpetuating or have been a victim to all of that stuff. And you start to process, right? Third chakra has a lot to do with processing emotions uh, in order to rise up to the level of the heart where we start to get into a deeper sense of self, a sense of identity, a sense of meaning and purpose. And of course, all of that capacity for human love that can transform anything. So the heart chakra is really very, very important in terms of our own sense of happiness, but also in terms of of um, the way that we interact in our relationships. Should I keep going on or do you want to ask any questions? Keep going. Okay. You're doing so, great. <laughs> okay. So from the heart center, and, and the heart center, by the way, the deity in the heart center is called Ishana, which is the Sanskrit name for Jesus. Uh, which I just find that fascinating, you know, so that they they have a Sanskrit word for Jesus, Isham, and that is the deity in the heart chakra. So the heart chakra deity is like G- Jesus. It's, you know, it's love, but not just love, not sort of this like love of um, unconditionally. It's like parental love. It's like the love of a parent that's like, I want the best for you. And therefore, uh, you need to do X, Y, and Z, you know? So the parent love in the heart chakra is that dis- it's, it's requiring us to develop internal discipline because it's through discipline that we can access freedom without discipline. There's no freedom, right? So that's where we start to develop our healthy habits, self-care. Um, we start to say, no, I'm not going to stay up all night and eat a gallon of ice cream. I'm going to go to bed early and take care of myself so that I can function tomorrow. Those sort of parental things that we learn from our parents, hopefully in secure attachment situations, and then that we start to internalize. And so that we're doing really important self-care, like we're saying no to things and we're, um, we're focusing on what's important in our life and we're, you know, um, laying down boundaries. So the heart chakra is all about boundaries, actually. That's where our boundaries happen. So we lay down those healthy boundaries. We've got this very intelligent, loving part of ourself because all of the the deities and the symbols are just different aspects. They're Jungian archetypes about ourselves. You could think about them that way, you know, the different aspects about ourselves that are helping us to understand um, what we need to do to self-actualize and then potentially to self-realize. When you get up to the throat chakra, this is where self-actualization really happens. Like people in the new age will talk about it as self-expression. And there's, there's some truth to that. Um, everything in the new age system has some truth. It's just a little bit, it's not, it's not as deep as the uh, traditional system. So, so when you get to the throat chakra, now you're in this place of um, self-actualization. Like I'm going to make happen what I want from my heart that has risen up from the seed in my in my root chakra and gone through the dark night of the soul and the second chakra and started to get processed and burned up and turned into fuel for my heart to expand itself in the heart center and then the heart the the deepest desires of the heart start to get manifest through the throat chakra. So I always say that Oprah Winfrey is one of the best examples of heart chakra people. I mean, of, of throat chakra people because what she she can make things happen. She makes things happen all the time, right? Absolutely. She's like, I'm going to give everybody a car. Or I'm going to start a school in South Africa. Like I she know, makes right? Happen. Yeah. <laughs> so so um, that's. But all of us have that. All of us have that capacity for that to happen. 
um, particularly when we work through the dark stuff. You know, it's that this is the this is Jungian shadow work. You know, you work through the shadow. And by the way, the, Carl Jung wrote a book in uh, well, he he gave four lectures in 1932 about the system. It's fascinating. It's called the Psychology of Kundalini Yoga. It, you know, but it kind of got classified as Jung's weird stuff that happened later. <laughs> his weird stuff. <laughs> yeah. All his weird, Jung's weird phase. He was ahead of his time. <laughs> he was so far ahead of his time. It's a shame because it's really powerful. Yeah. Unfortunately, that book was not widely available in English until 1996. So all the fluffy stuff we get about, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be dismissive, but you know, the the less deep stuff we get about the chakras that came out in the 70s and 80s did not have the benefit of Jung's wisdom, unfortunately. So so it's not as deep, you know. So anyway, um, then you go from the throat chakra, the self-actualization, then you start moving into the third eye chakra, which is the sixth chakra, agya chakra, which, um, which has a lot to do with my capacity for intuition, my capacity for very expansive thinking and my direct connection to my higher self that comes through the the third eye chakra that's my connection to my higher self and it's differentiated differentiated slightly by the crown chakra which the crown chakra is really about it's purely experiential and it's really about being one with the cosmos and you know, that's where the yogis are pointing us to. I think right now, in terms of humanity, we're lucky to get to the heart, you know? And and as a human race, when you see war, that second chakra dysfunction, when you see all of the pornography and sexual dysfunction, that second chakra dysfunction, um, third chakra dysfunction is all the cattiness and all the reality shows <laughs> and all of the petty. What about the fighting on the behavior. internet and social media? Is that? Yes, that's all third <laughs> chakra dysfunction. Chakra. Okay. That's all third chakra dysfunction. And then, you know, so, so we get to the heart center and that's where we become human. And that's where we need to, I think we need to be at the heart center, yeah. uh, you know, or at least work towards that as a race, as a human race. Absolutely. And, and uh, we can then, we, we, there's there's three more chakras to go. And who knows, like, as we evolve, we might evolve more chakras. It's totally yeah. possible. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. Because um, I was thinking, this is, is there a similarity with um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs? And it seems like there's a connection with that in my head for some reason. Well, I would be happy to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so Maslow was driving with his wife from um, Cal- from Oregon down through California, and they needed a place to stop for the night. And they pulled into what they thought was a hotel, and it turned out to be the Esalen Institute. And and Ken Dykewald was there. Ken Dykewald is the guy who is attributed as overlaying the rainbow onto the chakras, which, by the way, um, is not traditional. That's more part of the New Age system. So anyway, Ken Dykewald was there with his friends, and they were like, we've been reading your book. And they were so excited. And so you see a lot of this progression through the chakras um, that was certainly influenced by Maslow for, oh, okay. for sure. And, you know, Maslow late Maslow talks about self-actualization at the top of his pyramid, but later he added self-transcendence. So I think there's a lot of validity in that correlation, actually. I just would like to see folks go back into the 
um, into the more traditional texts and reclaim some of what the Indians were talking about. Because from the West, you know, Westerners are interested in like individuation and becoming themselves and actualizing. Whereas the East, it's really, well, specifically India, really was about like becoming God, you know, and, and transforming to understand yourself as, as this divine being. So it's slightly, it's very different worldviews. And I don't think you, I don't think that those worldviews necessarily have to um, interfere with using the chakras. I don't think there's necessarily has to be a problem with that, but I do think it's worth, especially for Westerners, it's worth examining our worldviews to understand if they're really what they are, are they valid? And um, is there, are there other ways of looking at life and looking at the meaning of life that might be helpful? I mean, that's, that's been my experience with yoga. When I started to get into yoga, I, I really started to be able to let go of a lot of the superficial pseudo culture yeah. stuff that we get bombarded with in the West. Well, I appreciate your description of the chakras because I've done some research and study on my own, but I've never had the the same description of how you go from the root chakra all the way up and what that means and and some of the dysfunction you're sharing. So, and I really appreciate how you talk about going deeper because that's important too, and not just the superficial piece of this. Yeah, and also in terms of cultural appropriation, like what's okay to steal from the West and change it to, I mean, from the East and change it to your own liking. Like, I think it's important for us to really look deep into these wisdom traditions and respect them on their own terms. I just want to go back to something you mentioned that each chakra has a sound or you could use affirmation. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so each chakra has um, both esoteric and exoteric mantras. And so that what that means is, you know, if I can put this simply. So esoteric esoterica is about transforming your own lead into gold, if you want to think about it kind of alchemically. And so what were the alchemists interested in? The exoteric alchemists, which, which were, they're just, they're just medieval Western tantrics. I mean, they were doing so many of the same practices, but the exoteric alchemists were trying to turn lead into gold, right? Or some whatever cheaper metals into expensive metals. (laughs) But that's that's exoteric. That's like outside of yourself. It's, it's, um, It's magic. It's Harry Potter, you know? Whereas the esoteric alchemists and tantrics were like, what is my own lead? And how do I change my problems into gold? Right. So how do you take, for example, my, here's an example. My son has been dealing with bullies at school. He's, he's 18. So, and that blows my head off wow. that there are, that there are 18 year olds bullying each other, but that's going on for him right now. Mm. And so he's, he's been working really hard and he's, and he's works with his therapist and he talks to us, which is great. He's been really working hard at looking at the aspects of her personality which kind of opened him up a little bit to bullying. Not, of course, that it, it, it's never his fault. It's never your fault when you get bullied. I don't mean to make that at all. But the bullying has given him an opportunity to look at this issue. And instead of just projecting and going, they're, they're terrible people, he's looking at himself and he's thinking like, what do I want to, what do I really want out of my life? What do I want to excel at? What do I want to focus on? What do I want to do with myself? He's taking that lead and he's working on it to 
change it into his own gold. And that's, and I'm so proud of him for that, by the way. That's amazing. Um, yes. It's really beautiful to watch this. And it's painful as anything because bullying is totally painful. But it's been beautiful to watch what he's been able to do with a lot of support um, to be able to look at this like it's an opportunity instead of a victimization, you know. And and I think all of us have those kind of situations. We all have our personality issues, you know. I almost said personality flaws. That's kind of the language of the 12 steps I didn't, which I think, you know, some people like that, some people don't. But anyway, like we all have personality issues to look at. We've all got like relationship issues. We've all got issues with a bigger world, with their financial issues, whatever they are. And we, these challenges are all the, the, the metaphorical lead that we can take and turn and change it. We have some ability to change that, you know? Um, And that's not just from a position of privilege. I mean, I think that, uh, that of course, when you have a position of privilege, it's easier but, you know, you look at somebody like Viktor Frankl, who's in the concentration camp and he loses his whole family and his whole story is about um, agency. That's his whole story. It's about taking yeah, that so experience. Yeah, making meaning, man's search for meaning, like making meaning out of those difficult experiences. So going back to the original question, that's the whole point of using these intentions and mantras is like, I got this issue, whether it's my issue with sexuality or my issue around my ego and and lack of confidence or issue around trauma or my issues around boundaries, whatever it is. I have these issues. I can identify in my body the root of those issues by following the map that the yogis left us, which was a very intricate map, by the way, of the emotions and where they land in the body. Um, I can use that map. I can, then I can use some asanas and some pranayama, some breathing practice. So yoga postures, breathing practices, and uh, maybe mantras or intentions. So the first Second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh chakras, they have they have es- these esoteric mantras. The first chakra mantra is an L sound, lung. The second is vung, a V sound. And by the way, that lung sound relates to the earth element, which is part of the first chakra. The, the vung sound relates to the uh, water element, second chakra. The rung sound with an R relates to the fire element, third chakra. Then yang with a Y relates to the air element, and that's the heart chakra. And then the uh, uh, hung sound relates to the throat chakra, and that's the ether element. Why are the elements important? Because the elements are what connects you to the universal flows of energy. It connects you to cosmic energies. So the idea is you take in, for example, lung, you know, you want to feel like more grounded. So we'll do the lung sound. So you would do Om Lung Pritvaye Namaha, which is a kind of a longer mantra, um, which means I, my salutations to the energy of, of the earth, basically. That's what that means. Or you could just use the bija, the, the one word, L-A-M, lung. And you bring your attention to that. You bring your awareness to that pelvic floor area. You bring the sound there. The sound bombards the pelvic floor area with the vibration of the earth. You bring that groundedness into your 
mind and body. And and so that's what the mantras have been used for is sound healing. It's ancient sound healing stuff. It's very profound. And it's also what I've just told you is like super, super, you know, condensed cliff notes version. Appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah. Something that's much, much more elaborate, you know, but the idea is like you use that mantra to change your lead into gold. That's wonderful. And I like to use mantras with clients too. And I'm I'm sure as more people are getting into, more clinicians are getting into yoga, that using that with clients can be so helpful. I think so. And it's a way to use yoga that's sort of um, accessible in some ways for folks who don't want to do like the movement and stuff. You know, there's also hand mudras, these simple kind of like yoga postures for your hands that have very subtle effects, subtle energy and subtle effects. A lot of people like hand mudras. Um, so there's things that you can, and breathe and tons of breathing practices. You know, I, if you don't mind me just going off on a little bit tangent about breathing, um, there's so much going on right now about like breath coaching and like learning how to be a breath coach and teach I've all this. Heard of this. Yeah. It's really big right now. Maybe I just see it because of my social media That's feeds, true. but <laughs> But it's a big thing right now. It's like, oh, here's this breathing practice. And you'll hear folks like Andrew Weil be like, oh, here's this ratio everybody should do. Count four in, seven hold, and eight out. And people are con- – or box breath is the other one. Yes, I hear, all the I hear that like, all four, the time. Four, 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 four. And, and the, the reality is that those practices might be okay for some people some of the time. But if you get trained in this methodology – you start to understand how the postures and the breath and the meditation all fit together in a coherent system. The best people to teach breathing practices are yoga teachers who've been trained or yoga therapists who've been trained to use these practices in an integrated holistic manner that addresses the challenges of the nervous system that are at hand and when you just sort of extract one of these practices from the whole system, like breathing practices, you really, it, you really lose the magic of it. It's, it kind of breaks my heart to tell you the truth, because if I can teach someone, if someone wants to learn a breathing practice, I'm going to teach them several yoga postures to do before that practice. That's going to make the practice much more fecund, much more fertile, much more productive. Agreed and deeper. And then I'm going to teach them how to meditate after uh, a meditation practice after that. That's going to make the whole thing, you know, transformative as opposed to just here's something to do when you're having a panic attack. Here, breathe right? four, no. four, four. <laughs> What'd right. you say? Just breathe four, four, four. Yeah. You'll be good. You- yeah. No, I like that as, I'm glad you brought that up. I think that's important as a holistic, looking holistically at a person too, yeah. that you can't just expect people to, and, and I, I disagree with the four, seven, eight. Yeah. Yeah, four seven eight is just ridiculous. That's, that's hard for people, I, I, and that's it blows really my mind that it's so popular. Yeah. I'm just like, <laughs> um, most people can't access it. If you have any kind of you know chronic yeah. health condition, which six out of ten Americans do, then you know th- those sorts of breathing practices are not appropriate, and it's just a shame. So we need yoga professionals teaching that sort of yes. stuff, not healthcare professionals, or, or it could be, you know, I think mental health professionals who are trained in yoga do great with that. Um, and, and the other thing is like, most of that stuff is pretty low risk. Four, seven, eight's not low risk, but box breathing, 
that's probably not terrible, but the problem with it is that, and low risk, you know, but the problem with it is you teach it to somebody and they go, oh, I can't do that. And then they're like, I can't do breathing practices. Uh, yeah, I see that all like, the time you know, <laughs> with new it clients. It shuts them down. Yeah, exactly. So, but I think when you have it integrated into a whole system that you're teaching them and it really makes a difference and they can see the transformative practice within themselves. I think so too. You know, I think that's what they, they have the opportunity to find something really powerful that can, that can be a, such a incredible, healthy self-care habit that they can start to implement in their lives. Seriously, even if it's only 10 or 15 minutes a day, that's terrific. And it can change your, your life to have that kind of a habit. Um, and help you to reduce the dependence on alcohol and caffeine and all the things so many people are dependent on in our culture to survive, you know. So true. Well, I so appreciate you coming on today and bringing us this wonderful information. I always learn something new when I talk to you. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yes. So fun to be here. And I know and my listeners also probably learned a lot from this. Oh, I hope so. That would be great. Definitely. So where's the best place they can find you? They want to learn Oh, okay. I just wanted to say before I, I say all that is um, I really appreciate the work you're doing, Chris. And oh, thank you. I think you're offering folks something really important. So thank you for the work yes. you're doing. Um, yeah, you can find me at subtleyoga.com. You can find me on Instagram at Subtle Yoga. You can find me on Facebook, Subtle Yoga with Christine Weber. And you I, also I, have a chakra course. I do. I have a course on chakras right now. It's And I have a freebie that I'm um, offering your listeners called "Is Everything You Learned About the Chakras Wrong," <laughs> which is <laughs> excellent. Which is an ebook. I hope you find that interesting. And then I have a course called "Chakras Beyond the Rainbow," which is kind of a deeper dive into the symbolism of the chakras um, that I think would probably be appropriate for a lot of your listeners. Yes, awesome. Well, thanks again for coming on, Christine. Thank you. And thank you to my listeners for tuning in today. Be sure to visit us at www.holisticcounselingpodcast.com to access our show notes and all of our episodes. Did you love this episode today? Please forward this episode to a colleague who may benefit. This is Chris McDonald sending each one of you much light and love. Until next time, take care. Thanks for listening to the Holistic Counseling Podcast. Ready to engage with other holistic counselors? head on over to my Facebook group, the Holistic Counseling and Self-Care Group, where you'll be able to connect with other holistic counselors just like you. You'll also gain invaluable resources on holistic practices daily and connect with others in a fun, drama-free environment. Remember to tune in next Wednesday for another episode. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is given with the understanding that neither the host, the publisher, or the guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, or any other professional information. If you want a professional, you should find one.